Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, hey, I, we're continuing today. We're, we're, going, we're talking about the Church of Philadelphia. Y- y'all can say Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Right? Some of you cowboy fans, you don't like saying that word very much, especially this year. And uh, Philadelphia is, obviously, we know Philadelphia in in America. There's a Philadelphia, America, right? Which is the city of brotherly love, right? Phileo. Phileo in the the Greek language is is that, that brotherly, that friendly kind of love, right? And so Jesus is writing to his church in Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. We got one more week after this week of this series. It's been fun. It's been fun for me uh, to just explore it, and um, and hopefully it's been blessing you. And if you've been missing out on any of the weeks, you can always jump on the Overflow app or on the website, wherever. We always have, do it. we work really hard to make sure the messages and the notes and all that are archived so you guys can go back and check it out. Revelation 3, verse 7, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed you before an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word And have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I've loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. To him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia, the love of a brother, phileo. This city is is known for its agriculture importance. It was a gateway city. It was a city that that many traveled through, but it was small. It's a small city, particularly uh, grew a lot of grapes. It was like many of the other cities we've been talking about, Hellenistic in its belief systems. Dionysus, I believe I'm saying that right, is, is kind of the, 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 the Hellenistic god that they served, the god of wine, because of the grapes that were there. So they had this temple that was established there, and they would go and worship. And then there were also Jewish synagogues, Jewish synagogues that were bought into religion, but actually rejected the church of Jesus. 
And so many of these would have even been considered followers of Christ. They would have been considered uh, Messianic Jews. We would, we would call them that today. Jews that said, hey, we embrace the way. But, but as things began to transpire, and as persecution began to set in, how many know that persecution does a really good job of separating the shaft from the wheat? Persecution and pressure have a really good, do a really good job of getting rid of the fake and the phony. And so what's happening is this religious system ends up exiling the church and saying, you're not welcome here. Go, go do your own thing. And so the church during this time had grown in this city, in Philadelphia, was very small. It's just a small group of believers. And in 17 AD, in the city of Philadelphia, there was this massive earthquake and, and much of the city was in ruins, and people were trying to go back there. That's where their jobs were. That's where their, their and, and it had a history of earthquakes. The pillars of the city were actually crushed. That you couldn't, a lot of the buildings were broken down, so they would try to rebuild, and there was just a, a lot of fear kept people away. But the church remained there. The church remained there. So again, the pillars of the city were compromised. And so Jesus is riding to this church that's in this city that's, that's still cleaning up the rubble, that's been persecuted, that's dealing with those difficulties, and he starts off the letter just like he does all of them. He starts about talking about himself. He's giving them the grid for what he's about to say. Now, now what's interesting is he doesn't get into the descriptions as, as the other churches we talked about. He's kind of emphasizing what he talks about in chapter 1, he doesn't talk about his appearance, but he does talk about what he's holding. He's talking about keys. Now, these are different keys than what he talks about in Revelation chapter 1. We'll get into that in, in, in just a minute. And this is what he says. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What does he say? I am holy. In the Greek, that word is hagios. And that means set apart, sanctified for purpose. The, the, the best word for you to understand, I think, is, is the word uncommon. Jesus is totally uncommon. He's totally other than. He's other than anything you've experienced. He's, he's, he's completely unfamiliar. We, we, we like to familiarize Jesus. Hey, he's just like one of us. No, he's not just like one of us. This is the reason why we still worship him. Even though he's not physically on the earth. This is the reason why he's the most influential uh, human God, man that has ever, you know, any deity among the false deities. He's, he, he's the one that's endured for, for thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. We're still worshiping. Why? Because he is completely unique, completely uncommon. It's not because we, we, we just, I can familiarize myself. No, you can't. He's totally uncommon. He's totally different than you are. He's totally different than I am. He's human, fully God, fully man. But he's at the same time, he's, he's, he's totally different. He's the son of man. He's the ideal man. He's uncommon. Now, what's interesting is when he says, I am holy, he's equating himself with the Father. Now, again, before we have the New Testament, God isn't to be identified as Father. He's just God. He's, he's, he's holy. Jesus comes and says, listen, I want you to understand that he's, that he's not distant. And he's not far away. He actually is father. Not like the fathers that you know, like, like an incredible father. And I, I'm providing the way for that. 
He's absolutely, so there's this, this passage in John chapter 6 where the disciples are not doing so well. They're deconstructing, they're leaving Jesus, they're deconverting, they're going away, they're abandoning Jesus left and right. You think, man, if, I was, if Jesus was here in the flesh, I would, that's not true. People, people rejected Jesus then, just like they reject Jesus, and he was with them in the flesh. And people, were, people couldn't serve Jesus then. So the disciples, people that were following him, were, were starting to leave. The pressure was on. And so Jesus is hanging out, in John chapter 6 with his disciples and Simon Peter, uh, he, he asks, Jesus is talking to Simon. And he's like, are you going to go with everyone else? Are you going to go with the crowd? Are you going to do what all the other people that said that they loved me and that were committed to me? Are you just going to do what everybody else did? Or are you gonna, what are you going to do? And then Peter makes this statement in John chapter 6, verse 68 and 69. Lord, where are we going to go? <laughs> Where are we going to go? I mean, we grew up under the law. We grew up in synagogue. We, we grew up around the word of God. But, but when you came, you had words of life. And we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter recognizing Jesus as the Son of God, as God in the flesh. Again, this is a term, the Holy One of Israel, reserved for God. So Jesus is, is declaring his deity. And so he's, he's telling the church there, remember, I am whole, I'm the Holy One. Yeah. I am the Holy One of Israel. Then he says this, I am true. I am true. I am the truth, remember? See, Jesus holds the authoritative and accurate view of reality. I think one of the biggest tensions that we have in our culture right now is that, is that people have this idea is that what might be true for you is not true for me. Is that true? Do you see it doesn't even hold up at face value? It's not true. Truth, truth is rooted in reality, not in, not in experience. Just because you don't experience the truth doesn't mean the truth isn't true. You got to come to him, come to the truth to experience the truth. Jesus is the truth. So Jesus holds the authority, the authoritative and accurate view of reality, but Jesus also gives us the truth about God. Now get this. There were people all throughout the Old Testament. Listen, lean in. There were people all throughout the, the Old Testament that had encounters with God. Moses encountered the Lord. Abraham was a friend of God. David had this crazy grace on his life to encounter the Lord. But guess what? They knew in part. They didn't have the full revelation of Jesus. So they didn't. Listen, spirit-filled believers have more access to the reality of God the Father than Moses did. Because you got Jesus. Jesus is the lens that we view the Father from. So John chapter 14. Now, understand this. The people that, that Jesus was spending his time with, the disciples, they were well-schooled in the Scripture. Yeah. 
very well schooled in the scriptures. They knew that they, they had the first five books of your Bible memorized. And when God shows up in the flesh, they're wrestling with it because they're going, whoa. Even after Jesus is resurrected, he's like explaining the scriptures to them. He's showing them, listen, you read the scriptures through me. I'm the lens. So Jesus, John chapter 14, very, very famous passage. I am the way, the truth, the life. The way, not a way, not a option. The truth, not a truth, not his truth, not your truth. The truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You don't, go, you don't get to the Father through anyone else but through Jesus. You don't get through, through, to the Father. Well, God, God just reveals himself. God can do whatever. God reveals himself through Jesus. The only way. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life of the Father. Jesus shows us the truth of the Father. You want to know the truth about the Father? Look at the Son. What are God's ways like? Look at the Son. Jesus came to reveal the way, the truth, and the life of the Father. Y'all okay? If you knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you don't know him, and you have seen him. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. How do they know and see him? Because they knew the Bible really well? No, because they knew Jesus. And they were, listen, they were wrestling with this stuff. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. <laughs> it's so funny. He's like, I just did. I just told you, Philip. Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? I've heard people say this. You can't see God. You'll die. No, if you see God, you live. This was the understanding of those in the scriptures. They, they were afraid that if they saw God, that they were going to die. That was their understanding. But their understanding was messed up. Jesus shows up and says, if you see me, you'll live. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, he's not saying that he is the Father. He's saying that he is the exact representation. This is what Philippians and Colossians teach us, that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. He's the Father's mini-me, <laughs> but not many, just accurate. What does the Father look like? He looks like Jesus. How can you say, show us the Father? I'm showing you the Father. I'm showing the truth about the Father, the way of the Father, the life of the Father. It's found in me. I'm showing you, Philip. I'm showing you. I know you've studied the scriptures. I know you've done really good. But if you really want to know what God looks like, God the Father looks like, you look at Jesus. And that, listen, and we think, oh, man, therefore God doesn't ever, he's just this humanitarian hippie. Read the scriptures again. We're seeing what Jesus is like. Revelation 1. Don't forget that. Because <laughs> he does have fire in his eyes. And he is coming with judgment. Don't just think he's some like hippie love. He just, you know, Jesus throws tables over. He does. 
don't 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 think that his kindness doesn't mean that he there's no justice in him or there's no judgment in him because there absolutely is. <clears throat> Y'all okay? So he says this, I hold the key of David. I hold the key of David. Now, this term is taken from Isaiah chapter 22. And there was this guy, Eliakim, who receives what's called the key of David uh, from this guy named Shebna. Shebna was, was not stewarding the authority. How many know that when you have keys, you have authority, right? You have the key to your house. You have the authority over your house. When you buy a house, you go and you get the keys to the house. And then what does that mean? Well, it means it's my house now. That means I'm the one that gets to open the doors. I'm the one that gets to lock the doors. This is my house. You don't have a key to my house. You have access. And so Shebna was not, uh, was not being a good steward. So the Lord says, I'm going to give that to Eliakim. And this is, a, this, is this key of David. David is, is, is important there. One, because Jesus would come through the line of David. Jesus, he tells David, he says that, I'm going to build a dynasty of kings through you. You're, the, the kingdom of God will come through you, David. Why? Because David had this grace on his life to connect with God. It's all about relationship. It's all about connecting with the Lord. And people have gotten kind of really deep in this key of David thing, and, and it's good. I like it. But, but really, what it's talking about is talking about access. I will place on his shoulders, Isaiah 22, the key of the house of David on his shoulders. What, what rests on your authority, right? It's, it, it, how many know that when, when the Lord puts something on your shoulders, th there's weight to be bare, to bear. Now, those keys in those days, they weren't just like a little like key that you would pull out of your pocket, right? Hey, yeah. there, there were a big key because you had big gates that had big wooden latches. And so they had this big mechanism to reach in there and kind of. And so he carried this big key on his shoulder. And Jesus said, I got that key. I got the key of the kingdom. I got the key to, to every door in the house. I've got the key. Now he knows Peter. He gives the church. Matthew 16, he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. This isn't necessarily the, key, the keys of the kingdom on the earth. Jesus still has the the keys of the kingdom. Come on, right? So, so we, we do have keys. We do have certain doorways that we can go through. When I was uh, in 1999, I moved to El Paso uh, to be a youth pastor there. And um, whenever I got hired, they gave me a set of keys. And so with that set of keys, I had access to certain doors. I had one for our closet. We had a youth closet. I had the key to the office, and I had the key to the youth closet. It was the only keys I had. Now, as I was there longer, I got more authority. I got more keys. But there was a key in the building called the master key. I didn't get the master key. I mean, I had some keys. I had some authority. I could open some doors. I can lock some doors. I can unlock some doors. But whoever had the master key had the key to open all the doors. They had full access to every single door in the building, all the doors. Oh, I wish I had the master key so I'd have to use this key for this and this key for them, figure out which one and mark it and put a little rubber thing around it so I know what color it is. Just one key. And so Jesus says, listen, I 
have the key of David. I have full access. He has the master key, the authority to open and shut any door. Woo! Absolute authority. Remember Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me. Jesus, listen, there is not one ounce of authority that Jesus doesn't have. He got the key. He got the master key. Now, there's, he gives us keys. We have access to certain things, but he's got the key, and if he wants to come and lock it, he can lock it, and nobody can unlock it. I, I want to talk for just a moment about open doors, okay, just because it, it fits here. This isn't necessarily what he's talking about, but we use this language a lot in the kingdom. Open doors. I'm just asking that God would open a door. Lord, would you close the door? That's good. That's good. That's a good way to pray. Lord, if this isn't the right door that I'm supposed to go through, then close the door. Lord, I pray that you'd open the right door for me to, to, to go through, and I'll go through that door. And so here, here are some, just some thoughts on open doors. Not every open door is a door he opened. Well, it just must be the Lord. It's an open door. Not necessarily. Listen, every promotion isn't his promotion. Every opportunity isn't his opportunity. Sometimes it's just an opportunity for you to go through the wrong door. I will also say this. Resistance is not a closed door. Listen, sometimes it's really hard to go through the right door. We think, oh, it's just the open doors. I'm here in the open door. I don't work that way. Joseph Garlington says it this way. He says, when God closes one door, he opens another, but it can be hell in the hallway. And I've been in the hallway before. Some of you are in the hallway right now. It doesn't mean that God hasn't closed a door or opened doors. Sometimes it's hell in the hallway. Sometimes... It takes a long time to cross, cross over the threshold. Yeah. And so sometimes you're walking through a door, but you're like, you're not really fully in the room yet. And it's just okay. You're, you're working through, but sometimes it's not like we're just like, okay, walk through the door. It's just not usually the way it is. What I've found is that usually when I walk in, it's like I'm, I get really uncomfortable because I'm, 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 I'm in the hallway kind of moving out of this room into the next one. And it's like I step in and I'm like, oh, it's a little colder in here than I thought. Oh, I thought it was going to be so glamorous and glorious. I thought I was going to be celebrated when I walk into the room. But I I walk right over the threshold. And as soon as I walk in, there's resistance. Oh, and then we go, did I go through the right door? Maybe I need to go back to the other room. No, that door is closed. Let me also encourage you in this. Closed doors speak louder than open ones. And so, listen, I've been frustrated many times by closed doors. Because I'm like, I'm like, I want every door to be open. I have a tendency to kind of kick doors down, you know, or try to kick them down or get my foot in the door, right? I have those tendencies. But, listen, it's important for us to remember that closed doors, if the Lord closed the door, then it's definitely not him. And so closed doors always speak louder than, than, than open ones. And so maybe we should pray more, Lord, close all the doors. Then I'm not supposed to go in. I want you to close all the doors. Listen, options are not a good thing for you. 
It's better to only have one option. I can walk in or I can walk out. Some of you are like, Lord, I want options. He's like, no, I don't want you to have options. Lord, lock up the options. So some of y'all been kicking doors and you're limping around because of it. Because that door ain't going to open. You're just, you're just going to walk around with a limp for the rest of your life because you've been trying to kick a door open that's not meant to open. And it's just hurting you. And so you're living with a limp. We had this, this building a couple of years ago. That we, we were, I was like, it's the Lord. Like, that's just, I, I'm like, I, I need to remember all these things. I'm taking notes. I'm saving these. Put them on wallpaper on my phone. We had this building. It was an opportunity. And I would go like three times a week. And I'd walk around the building. I was doing Jericho marches. I was prophesying. I was like, Lord, this is it. It'll be overflow church right there. I mean, I'm, I'm doing all the things that you're supposed to do. I, I, I walked up, I, I literally got out of my car one day, because sometimes I'd sit in my car, sometimes I'd walk around the building, and uh, I, I'm still a little bitter about it, but I remember I, I left my car running, and I walked up to the door, and I had a glass door, there was a camera there, and I'm like, I don't even care if someone sees me, and I start knocking on the door, I said, Lord, if you, you said if we knocked, the door would be open. Now, just listen, when Jesus is talking about that, he's not talking about doors that are meant to be closed. He's talking about the door of the Holy Spirit. That's really what he's talking about. And so I was sitting there, and I was like, Lord, you said if we knocked, the door would be open. You know, I would have freaked out if someone came and opened that door. But uh, but I just remember I was so invested in what I wanted to be an open door. And I really wasn't trusting the Lord. I was, had, I was more moved by the desire in my heart. Because I, I just thought, this is perfect. This is what. And the Lord's like, nope. And I, the, last, the last time I went and prayed over that building, I was, I was walking in front of it, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, do you trust me? And I said, yes, Lord, I do. And I was like, I won't walk around this building anymore. Now every time I drop by it, I'm still frustrated, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Lord. He's like, nope. Listen, Jesus can be found and you can be good with whatever the outcome is because he is the key holder and we trust him for the right doors. So listen, you don't get frustrated. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to you. Don't get frustrated with closed doors. It's the grace of God that he closes those doors. He's a good leader. He's really good at knowing what doors that you need to walk through. I know it's hell in the hallway. I know it's frustrating. I would also say this. Live in the room that you're in. Quit looking for the other room. Live in the room that you're in. When the Lord opens a door, he'll open it, and it'll be time, and you'll know, and everybody else will know, and it'll be okay. We get so weird about things and guidance and leadership of the Lord. Oh, Lord. So with Philadelphia, I was a plan on that being like a minute thing, but here we are. Affirmation, what we have here with Philadelphia is affirmation without correction. Now, all the other churches, there's like these rebukes, right? He's like, listen, I have this against you. We're like, no, we don't see this in Philadelphia. 
We have affirmation without correction. We have promises without rebukes. So he says this, I know your deeds. I place before you an open door, again, that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and you've not denied me. So little strength, what is he saying? Is he saying they're weak? He's not saying they're weak. I actually think that, that he's emphasizing really what they're strong in. They're strong and they're really, they're, 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 they would be considered insignificant. They probably saw themselves as insignificant. I know that you're small. I know that you're not changing the world. I know that you're not putting out CDs. We don't put out CDs anymore. I know you're not putting out, people aren't streaming your stuff. I know that you're not, you don't have a thousand followers on Instagram. I I know all that. I know that you're just, you're, you're, you're small. I know that you see yourself as insignificant. A small body, again, not glamorous. They're there. The city's struggling. They don't have any money. There's nobody influential in their church. They don't, they don't have a big name. They don't have a good website. Their social media presence is so terrible. They've got really bad logos, and, you know, they don't have greeters in their parking lot. I mean, it's just not going well. But they're faithful. They've probably been excommunicated from the the powers that be at the synagogue. Jesus is the synagogue of Satan, which we see this in the, the church of Smyrna. And if you want to know more about that, you can go check that out. But he says this, you're faithful and obedient. You've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. This is what I really like about you, Philadelphia. You've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. I know it's been hard. I know it's been difficult. I know you've maybe thought, maybe if we can be a little bit more strategic, we can have more influence. He's like, no, you've just been faithful. You haven't denied me. You just obeyed my word. And he says this, so I'll give you, and these are the promises, five promises. They could probably be four, but I'm going to give you five. Number one, he says, I'll give you an open door. I place before you an open door. In the Greek, it literally means this, I've given you an open door. I placed it before you. I set it right there. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. I just give you an open door. And again, most of the time when we hear open door, we think personal opportunity. But Jesus sees connection with him as the paramount opportunity. I've placed, I am the door. Remember what he says in John 10, 10? I am the door. I got the keys. I am the door. Come on in. I'm the best opportunity. When we talk about open doors, we're normally talking about opportunity. Lord, what's going to make me have more money? What's going to make me have more influence? What's going to make my heart more full? All this kind of stuff. And Jesus is like, I'm the door right here. Come on in. I got an open door for you. See, the greatest open door we have is him. He reveals the Father. Again, we're, we're kind of back on this. Listen, no one knows the Father Matthew chapter eleven twenty seven. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So Jesus gives us access and capacity to explore His mystery. The open door. The open door to what? Open door to revelation. Open door to knowing who God is. He gives us access and capacity to explore His ministry. His mystery. 
Jesus has used that key to give us access, and he gives the Spirit as an escort to explore the deep things of God. He is the door. He's the one that wants to be explored. It's not so that we can have chill bumps, but so that we can know his desires and obey his heart and embrace his identity. We love the chill bumps. They're great. But if they're not equipping you to obedience, it's just feeling. It's just fluff. I love the chill bumps, by the way. I love it. I'm like, wow. I get them every week. I'm like, come on. But if they're not there, I'm still, come on. I'm still worshiping my guts out. I've been worshiping my guts out for 30 years, and there hasn't always been chill bumps. Trust me, I've been in really bad worship sets. They, they actually weren't bad worship sets. It's just the music wasn't good. I've been there. I've been in the room with really bad singers. You, you don't know how, bla- how, how well you're blessed. Some of y'all do. You're like, oh, yeah, I've been places. <laughs> so he promises this, this open door of himself. Number two, he promises vindication. Now, when we say vindication, we think retribution, we think revenge, but that's not what he's talking about here. But what he's doing, what, what vindication means is proving that we were right. So this is what he says. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, those that have exiled you, those that have said you're not right, those are the ones that said what you're saying isn't the truth, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but liars. I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now listen, he's not talking about they're going to come and worship you. They're going to come alongside of you and worship him. Philippians 2.10. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, there is coming a day, beloved, there is coming a day when all the things that we know about Jesus are going to be fulfilled. And this is, this is what he emphasized. They're going to know that I loved you. Your enemies, listen, there is coming a day when those that ridicule you, that, that blaspheme him, that, that are angry at the church and angry, he said, you know what they're going to do? They're all going to come and bow down right beside you at your feet because you're down on your knees. So they're going to be right at your feet, right there next to you. They're going to be worshiping me and they're going to go, he, he loved them. Those that have persecuted you, those that have been against you, those that have doubted you, those that have ridiculed you. He's going to cause on that day, we are going to see our enemies bow before Jesus. I'm hoping it's in this life. Come on, I'm hoping they do it before it's too late. There's coming a day when truth is going to win out. And it might, listen, it might not be in this life, but it's a promise. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue, everyone's going to know. And I love it that, that as the body of Christ, I'm not saying we get it all right. There is one thing we get right. He loves us. That's one thing we get. We definitely get that right. And there are things that we've done, but you know what? At the end of the age, everyone's going to go, they were right about the love of God thing. And I missed it. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess. In this age or in the age to come, make sure it's in this age. 
Because in that age, it'll be too late. Then he says, he promises them this protection. Now, when he talks about protection here, he's not talking about physical protection. He's talking about spiritual immunity. Spiritual immunity. Because how I many you know that they, they were in a church, people were dying left and right. We see this throughout Revelation. It's the blood of the martyrs that's going to cause the, the second return. Tribulation is, is coming. It has come before, and it's coming again. And it, it, we're in some of it right now. There's pressure. There is some persecution, but it'll get worse. We'll shine brighter, but it will get worse. He says, since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those that live in the earth. Again, this is not an escape from hardships. What it, what it does do, and we're seeing it now, what it does do, it separates those that love him and love those that don't. See how carnal or spiritual we are is revealed through how well we handle ourselves through trials, temptations, and troubles. Let me say that again. How carnal or spiritual we are is revealed through how we handle ourselves through trials, through temptations, and through trouble. How spiritual are you? Listen, it's easy to be spiritual when the worship's cranking and blowing and it's going good. What about when somebody in the room that you just worship with was ugly to you? And so we've got, we've got a, a church, we have churches full of offended people offended at the church. Yeah. I'm just so offended. Someone so, someone so did something wrong. Yeah. Welcome to humanity. Grow over it. It's just where we're at. People, listen, people do stupid things. I do stupid things. I will fail you as your pastor. I will. I'll hurt your feelings. I'll, I'll not say hi to you or give you a hug. And I gave someone else one and I forgot to give you one. And you're like, hey, you don't like me. It's going to happen. There will be all, plenty of opportunity for you to get offended by the leadership here at Overflow. And any other church you go to. Because we are all imperfect. All of us. The word there in the Greek is to keep from, to keep from. So Jesus says this, my prayer is, is not to take you, take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. This is what Jesus prays. This high priestly prayer in John 17. A lot of great stuff in there. But he says this. My prayer isn't that you would, you would keep them from temptation or hardships or difficulty. My prayer is that you would keep them from the evil one, that they wouldn't be influenced by the trouble. They wouldn't be influenced by the trials. They wouldn't be influenced by the tribulation. They would remain faithful. This is his prayer. Then he says this, I'm coming soon. Verse 10, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. We talked about this last week. There's, a, there's crowns coming, but be careful, beloved, that you don't sell out during a difficulty and lose your crown. It's a reward that can be diminished. Do you understand this? Not your salvation. Come on, not your, not your position in God, not your righteousness, but your rewards can be diminished if you don't hold on to what you have. And at this, this church, you know what all they had was? All they had was each other. That's all they had. They didn't have any influence. Nobody liked them. They didn't even have a website. None of that. None of the, none of the cool stuff. No flyers. They're continually moving their service times around. They had no strategy. They were not very good at that stuff. 
but they loved one another. Hold on to what you have. Then he says this, pillars. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. In other words, a stable structure inside. A seemingly insignificant church that remained faithful, he said, I'm going to make you pillars. See, listen, beloved. We are pillars of his temple. We're those that bear the weight of the kingdom of God. Those that bear the weight of the glory of God. It's us. It's the people of God. See, there is nothing insignificant about your faithfulness. There's nothing insignificant about your faithfulness. We often, we often underestimate what we can do in a day, but under, underestimate what we can do in a lifetime. We overestimate what we can do in a day or an hour in five minutes. We underestimate what we can do in 30 years of just saying yes to Jesus. 30 years of just getting before the Lord every day. So, man, how do you grow so, how do you go fast spiritually? You go to Bible college for two years? No, <laughs> that helped to get me started. How do you know the Lord? How are you saying? Because for 30 years, I've read my Bible and prayed. Not how many crusades did I lead. And how many people I'm influencing, it's just my history with God. I'm just developing it just day by day. Just the small little daily devotions, this is what you're doing. Just small little daily things, just small little raising your kids, small little things of serving your spouse. This accumulates to a life of significance, not a couple of viral trendy moments. I know we want that. Oh, I just want to, ah! And then it's gone. You're like, whoa, what happened? Ten years, nobody remembers your name. But if you're just faithful... See, in this shaky, unstable age where the pillars are crumbling before us in a culture that re rejects God and his messengers, he is establishing his people as pillars in his unshakable kingdom, marked with his name, identified as his people to bear the weight of his glory in, 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 in this age and in the age to come. He is using the people of God as pillars in his kingdom. And this is the, the last thing is this, is we're identified as his. Now, they're, they're the pillars, but the pillars aren't just pillars. They're actually identified as his. So pillars in the ancient world, they would, they would, they would erect them to honor people. We, Jacob does this with Rachel. We see this all throughout the scriptures. They create a pillar. It wasn't an idol. It was a way to honor someone, the work that they put in. And so he says, I am, I am creating these pillars out of you because you serve well. And what is a pillar used for? It's, it's again, in a culture where the, where, where the pillars weren't good because of the earthquakes. He's saying, I'm establishing pillars. I'm establishing my people as pillars in the kingdom of God, which is far superior than this shaky place. Yeah. It's the kingdom of the unshakable God, Hebrews 12. And what they would do with these pillars is they would write their name on there. And so this is what Jesus says. And he says it five times. Listen, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write him um, the name of my God in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write my name on it. My God, five times the number of grace. It's by his grace. 
It's by his grace, his glorious grace that he identifies himself on your life. Beloved, stay faithful to his word. Stay faithful to his name. Sure, some will say you're unimpressive, old-fashioned. They'll accuse you of being bigoted, ignorant, and irrelevant. It's all right. It's okay. Stay faithful. Remember, Jesus calls the persecuted blessed. We recognize his kingdom as, the, as a kingdom of those that are poor in spirit, the meek ones that inherit the earth. The last that become first before the one whose applause actually matters. Jesus sees the daily grind of the faithful ones, of the seemingly insignificant ones, in the little and in the obscure and in the mundane, he sees it all. He sees you in your faithfulness to seek him, to do things his way, to say yes to him. He sees it all. He sees that you live with conviction to obey his word, to be an ambassador for truth. He sees it all. He sees it. And he says, I am inscribing. I'm carving my name on you and I'm establishing you. As a kingdom, it will not go away. It will not crumble like all the other pillars that you've seen that have been built in this city that have all crumbled because of all the mess and all the cultural things and all the stuff. He's like, I'm establishing you, my people. They're going to come and worship, and they're going to see that my people are built to last. Will you stand? This is the deal with faithfulness. We get tired. Uh, I remember when we were just, I don't know, it was kind of starting out early years of overflow. I remember Pastor Leslie wrote on our mirror in our bathroom, Galatians 6, 9. Let's not grow weary. Weary grows. Weary don't happen overnight. Weary don't happen from a, a bad day. Weary grows, man. And the Apostle Paul tells Galatians, he says, don't grow weary. And doing good. In due season, you're going to reap. You're going to reap what you sow. If. There's a condition. 